Fake hate crimes and real state crimes abound as Jesse Smollett's ridiculous story finally falls apart and the FBI's even more ridiculous story about the Trump campaign and Russian collusion falls apart as well. We will analyze why we are so keen as Americans to buy these hoaxes. Then, why national emergencies are not a national emergency and the wall just got a couple hundred miles longer. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Oh, so much to get to. So this was the day the right was waiting for. We have been actually playing it pretty cool. Jesse Smollett came out with his story. Most people on the right said, okay, going to wait for more facts to emerge. Doesn't quite add up, but I'll no, I'll wait. I'll wait. Same thing with Russia collusion. I say, you know, looking pretty bad for Democrats right now, looking kind of like there was an inner coup d'etat that was at work trying to overturn the presidential election. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Today is the day we've been waiting for. We will analyze the fake hate crimes and the real state crimes. But first, let's make a little money, honey, with Ollie. Ollie is wonderful dog food. Your dog's health is as important as every other member of your family, and it starts with what you feed them. But do you know what is in your dog's food? Ollie puts dogs first with vet-formulated recipes and fully transparent ingredients to give your dog the healthiest food possible. Ollie makes fresh meals for dogs with real ingredients that people can eat and delivers them to you on a regular schedule. You heard that right. People can eat this. I don't know that I recommend it, but they actually can. The big difference here is that for most dog food, according to the FDA, most dog food includes meat from the four Ds. Diseased, dead, disabled, and dying animals. Actually, five Ds, because it actually can include meat from euthanized dogs and roadkill. Doesn't have to be that way. Ollie makes fresh meals for dogs. Uh, They beat out store-bought dog food uh, at a 10 to 1 on the palatability scale, all natural ingredients, no preservatives. Go to myolly.com, answer a few questions about your dog. They'll customize recipes to your dog, ship pre-portioned meals. They've delivered 5 million meals and counting. Shipping is free. If your dog doesn't like them, they have a money-back guarantee. Ollie is offering our listeners 60% off your first box, plus a free bag of treats at myolly.com slash try slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. This is the best deal they have available anywhere. Go to myolly.com slash try slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. 60% off plus a free bag of treats. My, O-L-L-I-E dot com slash try slash Knowles. Check it out. So we now have the identity, uh, uh, probably. Obviously, we don't have all of the information yet, but we most likely finally have the identity of Jesse Smollett's white racist attackers. Do we have a photo? Yep, there it is. I always knew that Ralph Northam and Mark Herring were behind this attack. I always, I always knew that the governor of Virginia and the attorney general of Virginia were behind. This was the most effective blackface I have ever seen in my life. It has broken records for costuming as to how convincing this blackface was. Only Governor Northam and Mark Herring could possibly have done this. Really awful, awful stuff. It's either those two guys or it's just two giant Nigerian dudes who Jesse Smollett allegedly paid to attack him and then make a big hullabaloo out of it. I, again, I, I actually don't even now, even now, now you've got the story fell apart. The two guys were caught. They're not white guys. They're giant Nigerian guys. Jesse Smollett follows them on social media. They go to the same gym. I guess at least one of them was an extra on Empire, which is the show that Jesse Smollett's on. They are now saying to the cops that Jesse Smollett 
uh, paid them money to stage this attack. The attack story never quite made sense. There were a lot of inconsistencies. The Chicago PD now wants to talk to Jesse Smollett. Even now, I don't want to rush to judgment. But it does seem that all of the facts are pointing to Jesse Smollett staging this hate crime hoax. And never at any point were there really facts pointing to this hoax being real. The the hoax, I'll let Jesse Smollett say, say it in his own words, but it always seemed pretty fake. So we all knew it was fake. Conservatives suspected this from the very beginning. We all suspected that this was fake. And yet America bought it. At least half of America bought it. And the question also is why did he do it? Here is what Smollett says happened. What happened that night, Jesse? When I landed in Chicago and Frank Gatson, who's like my uncle, and he's also my creative director, and he picked me up. And then we got back to the apartment. There was no food. And so I went out to Walgreens thinking that they were 24 hours and to have a smoke. (laughs) Uh, Walgreens was closed. Um, So I called him up and I said, hey, I'm gonna run to Subway, which was across the street, and I'm gonna get a salad. Do you want anything? I went to the Subway and got the order. During that time, I texted my manager thinking that he was still in Australia because he was on an Australian tour with one of his other clients. Mm-hmm. And I said, yo, call me when you can. He called me immediately. And while he was on the phone, I uh, heard, as I was crossing the intersection, I heard Empire. And I don't answer to Empire. <laughs> my name ain't Empire. Uh, and I didn't answer. I kept walking and then I heard, Empire. So I turned around and I said, the did you just say to me? I and mean, I see the uh, attacker uh, masked. And he said, this MAGA country punches me right in the face. So I punched his ass back. And then um, we started tussling. You know, it was very icy. And we ended up tussling by the stairs, uh, fighting, fighting, fighting. There was a second person involved who was kicking me in my back. And uh, then it just stopped. And they ran off. And I saw where they ran. And the phone was in my pocket, but it had fallen out. And it was sitting there. And my manager was still on the phone. So I picked up the phone and I said, Brandon. And he's like, what's going on? And I said, I was just jumped. And I, then I looked down and I see that there's a rope around my neck. There you have it, an actor telling his story in in a fairly compelling way. It's a little melodramatic, so immediately you start to think, hmm, not so sure about this. Obviously, a lot of questions come up. One, if he was on the phone with his manager, why did he put the phone in his pocket without hanging up? At what point did the phone go from he's talking to his manager to, hey, okay, I'm going to put it in my pocket now, but I'm not going to hang up on you for some reason. Puts it in his pocket, and then it falls out, but it doesn't break, and it doesn't even hang up. Then... During this whole attack, he doesn't notice that the guys put a rope around his neck. He didn't feel it. He didn't feel the rope go around his neck. He didn't, did the guys just put it there like a, like a little necklace? Or did they pull on it? He didn't feel anything. He just noticed it later. Uh, one of the other aspects of this story that made people not believe it, of course, is that um, Chicago is not MAGA country. Chicago, the bluest state in America or the bluest city in America, in the bluest state in America, Chicago is not MAGA country. One of the most corrupt Democrat towns in the whole country. This is MAGA country. Is there one Donald Trump voter in all of Chicago? 
No, because they get purged from the voter rolls. <laughs> maybe a couple dead guys. I don't know. Maybe maybe the Democrats exhumed some dead bodies to go vote for Democrats in the presidential election. Turns out one of them was a Republican. They thought, Damn. All right. We got to disenfranchise him again. The left totally believed this story. Nobody on the right believed this story. The right was right, as is often the case. No critically thinking person believed this story. And yet we kind of held our tongue. We said, mm, all right, well, I don't, we don't want to be accused of being racist. We don't want to be accused of not believing victims. We don't, okay. So how did Jussie Smollett get away with this? If, as all of the facts now seem, because one thing he said, the attackers were these white guys. And then he identified the attackers walking away on camera. He saw where they were going. He identifies them. And then what I guess he wasn't counting on is that the cops were able to trace those guys I assume through other cameras, all the way to their apartment. They had the stuff for the fake attack. And there were these giant Nigerian dudes who knew Jesse Smollett and who Jesse Smollett knew. So I think he wasn't counting on that. It's very hard to believe that he could have mistaken these giant Nigerian guys who the next day got on a plane for Nigeria because they wanted to lay low for a little while, that he could have mistaken them for white racists. How did Jesse Smollett get away with this? He puts it in his own words. I'm pissed off. What is it that has you so angry? Is it the, the attackers? It's the is attackers, it? but it's also the attacks. It's like, you know, at first it was a thing of like, listen, if I tell the truth, then that's it, because it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Then it became a thing of like, oh, how can you doubt that? Like, how do you, how do you not believe that? It's the truth. And then it became a thing of like, oh, it's not necessarily that you don't believe that this is the truth. You don't even want to see the truth. The truth, the truth, the truth. But it's not the truth, is it? It's his truth. How could you not believe? This is my truth. This is the logical conclusion of you can never question my reality. This is the logical conclusion of radical subjectivism. This is the logical conclusion of check your white privilege, check your straight privilege. You could never possibly have an opinion, a worthwhile opinion, if you are a white straight guy about what a black gay guy says happened because you rank lower on the hierarchy of victimhood. So you can never challenge that opinion. And that allows liars like this guy to get away with it. And even, I mean, even from the very beginning, he says the guys came up to him and yelled, hey, Empire. First of all, nobody watches Empire. Right? I guess this guy's trying to save his job on this TV show. Nobody, I would not have been able to pick this guy out of a lineup. I have no idea who he is before this story came out. I don't, I watch basically no TV shows because nobody watches TV shows anymore. They all just stream shows and they'll pick one show and binge it for three weeks and then they'll go on to another show. But this is obviously self-aggrandizing. He's actually not a bad actor. This performance in this interview is pretty good. It's a little bit indulgent. It's a little bit acting class. So you start to, mm, he's being a little prepared. He's a little too waxing philosophic here. You don't quite believe it. But this, nobody could question it because he says, this is the truth. And you can never question. Now, if it had been a straight white Trump supporter who were claiming an attack, then everybody could question the truth because he ranks lower on the hierarchy of victimhood. But Jesse Smollett, you can never question him, even though we all suspected it. Now, what does he do? He gets called out, even by the interviewer, on an inconsistency in his story. 
How does he respond in exactly the way that the leftist culture has taught him to? But first, let's make a little money, honey. Let's do it with Ring. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer so that you never get jumped in the middle of the night while you're trying to just buy a Subway sandwich. You might already know about Ring's smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you'll get an alert you'll be able to see here and speak to all of them from your phone. That is thanks to HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. I love Ring. Ring makes me feel much more secure. I love it so much that I have given it to my friends. I think it's a great house warming gift. You'll feel really cool because you can talk to people dropping off packages, people trying to steal packages, people trying to break into your house, unexpected visitors. You can talk to them whether you're in the living room or in your bedroom or at work or on a beach in Boca. It doesn't matter. You can do it all through the cloud. If they steal your ring doorbell, if the burglars want to steal the doorbell, you can have it already uploaded to the cloud, so it's fine. You can send it to your neighbors. It's fabulous. As a listener, you have a special offer on a ring starter kit available right now. With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the starter kit has everything you need to be building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, ring.com slash Knowles. So Jesse Smollett in this interview gets called out on an inconsistency in his story, which is that he didn't call the cops right away. Why wouldn't he? He has this attack. It's major attack. He's racist, hate crime. He recovers. He's got a noose around his neck, I guess. But he doesn't call the cops right away. Why not? I don't have any doubt in my mind that that's them. Never did. Why did you hesitate to want to call the police? You know, there's a level of pride there. We live in a society where, as a gay man, you are considered somehow to be weak, and I'm not weak. I am not weak. And we, are, as a people, are not weak. So I, mean, I can accept that there was pride there. There's also privacy, you know, at the end of the day. Look what has happened. Wait, I don't understand. So it's, he's making two arguments. He says, well, uh, it's because of society that I didn't call the cops. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket, society. Why was it society? Because uh, uh, gay guys are considered weak. So I didn't, it was, yeah, it was pride and society and I didn't want to be considered weak. Then why are you on national television right now talking about it? If you didn't want this to come out, if you wanted to keep this private, then why not keep it private? Well, I didn't want to tell the cops. I didn't want to seem weak. I'm perfectly happy to go on national television and cry on camera about it. Hold on, let me see. Let me try to work through my old Udahagen techniques. Let me see if I can, okay, I'm going to try to churn from the inner life and see if I can force myself to cry right now. Mm, okay, but I don't want to seem, I don't want to seem weak. Uh, really bad argument. I think he got caught on it and that was the, the best that he could go to and it, it was effective. When in doubt, when you're called out on your lies, feign victimhood. Ocasio-Cortez does this all the time. Uh, she's done it to me. Uh, I'll point out some lie that she's told. She, uh, actually, a, a classic example. She lies about where she grew up. She pretends to have grown up in the Bronx. She actually grew up in a really ritzy town in Westchester. I then pointed this out on social media, and she accused me of mansplaining. She accused me of erasing her identity. Of She played the victim. She played the liar victim. How dare you call me a liar? I'm a victim, and that's what Jesse Smollett is doing here. 
Well, I'm a victim, and that's why I didn't do the obvious thing that I should have done when I was attacked. Then, the story gets even weaker because actors just, they can't help themselves. They have to get carried away with this. So, he, it's not enough that he got jumped by these racist white Trump supporters, allegedly. You know, these racist white giant Nigerian Trump supporters that he's friends with. But he then has to make the story even more fantastical. If he had just left the story at that, maybe he could have gotten away with it. But he just had to go even further beyond the realm of credulity. During that time before they came, it took them about maybe half hour to come. And during that time, I was looking at myself, just like checking myself out. I saw the bruise on my neck, you know, like the little, um, the rope burn around my neck. And then I, but I smelled bleach. I know the smell of bleach. And I saw on my sweatshirt, it had marks on it, like spots on it, when you have a bad bleach job. So he smells bleach. Okay. He also says later on that he wouldn't take the rope off. He left the rope on. Why does he leave the rope on? He said, because I wanted to show them. I wanted them to see what happened. But if you wanted them to see what happened, why didn't you call the cops right away? You can't, he keeps having it both ways in this argument, which is one of the main signals that had conservatives questioning him and then uh, had him retaliating. He didn't take the rope off. He then conveniently found some drops of bleach, not on any place that would have hurt him, but just on his clothing, just a few drops. So now we have to believe that in Chicago, oh, by the way, it was possibly the coldest night of the year when this happened. It was during that polar vortex, bitterly, bitterly cold, far below zero. We are to believe that there was a roving duo of racist white Trump supporters carrying around a noose and bleach looking for a somewhat known black actor to attack and then just to attack and then to leave without really hurting him or stealing any of his property, including his sandwich, which he still had. That's what we have to believe at this point. And then, by the way, when the cops got there, he asked them to turn off their body cameras. He actually admits to this. He said, you can come into my apartment, turn off the body. It's okay. We don't need any more footage. Okay. He didn't want them to catch any consistencies, inconsistencies rather. And then he's in this interview. He knows that some conservatives are out there questioning him. And listen to how he indicts Americans and how he indicts his own country. It's two o'clock in the morning. You're going to Subway. Subway is open 24 hours. Like people kill me when they say things like that because it's like Subway is open 24 hours for a reason. So that when you're hungry at night and you ain't got no food, you go to Subway. The, the camera facing north, how is that my issue? It feels like if I had said it was a Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me a lot much more, a lot more. And that says a lot about the place that we are in our country right now. The fact that we have these fear mongrels, these people that are trying to separate us and it's just not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not okay. Those hate mongers and fear mongers who are trying to divide and separate us, Jussie Smollett. Yes, that is not okay. Actually, though, his point's not true. He said, he said, if it were, or no, I guess actually he's making a very cogent point. He said, you know, if it were black people who had done this to me, if I'd said it was black people, then I feel like people would have believed me. And that's true. 
Now it looks like it was black people, and I finally do believe you, Jussie Smollett, because you're finally telling the truth. <laughs> or the truth at least came out, in spite of you not telling it. This is what the left does. The left projects. The left always projects. See, these hate and fear mongers who are dividing this country, these liars. You're the hate monger. You're the fear monger. You're dividing the country. You're the liar. You're the guy. You're the one doing this. This is the projection. And the projection, by the way, is not, why is he doing this? One, he's trying to protect his job on the show, I guess. But there is a broader cultural point here. And this is not a victimless crime, by the way. There are a lot, everybody jumped on this to defend him and to indict white male Trump supporting America, up, up to and including Nancy Pelosi. They haven't apologized. Nancy Pelosi hasn't apologized. The left is always projecting. But I love this Jesse Smollett story. I actually love what he did because he's exposing the left. And he's exposing their lies not just on this issue, but on many other issues. He even makes the point for us on the Kavanaugh hearings. He even indicts people like Christine Blasey Ford in his hoax. The next time that you see someone report something, maybe well after the fact that it happened, and you say to them, well, why are you waiting until now? Just remember that mine was reported right away. Oh, we will remember that, Jesse. We will remember that you reported yours right away. Saying, look, mine was reported right away and people didn't believe me. They should believe these people who make up stories 35 years later like Christine Blasey Ford and then contradict those stories with other stories. You know, unfortunately, with hoaxes like that, uh, 35 years later, you can't really come down and prove it definitively one way or the other. But he reported his right away, and it was disproven, o almost certainly disproven. Jesse Smollett would have had better luck if he waited 35 years. Maybe then he could have gotten a job on the reboot of Empire or whatever other show he's going to have. He's making our point for us in this. He's making the conservative point for us. And it's not just him. There have been hate crime hoaxes galore in recent years. Just a few examples. In uh, April 2015, Utah man was robbed twice by bigots who force-fed him bleach and carved dye and then a gay slur into his arms. They got it. They could see the carving, the, the bigots force-feeding him bleach. He later admitted he made all of that up totally made up. That was the, the uh, purported victim who admitted he made it up. Last April, abortion activist uh, reported to police that a pro-lifer attacked her. Turns out that didn't happen at all. Totally fake. 2015, a leading gay marriage activist in Ohio uh, faked his own abduction. So he said he was abducted for supporting gay... Nope, not true. He just... It was a total hoax. Year before that, a lesbian admitted to faking anti-gay hate crimes to get out of doing her homework. <laughs> if it works, I don't know. I've done a lot of things to get out of doing homework. That same year, a transgender dude lied about a sexual assault hate crime in a high school bathroom. Not true. Year before that, a lesbian waitress doctored a bill from one of her customers to include anti-gay slurs and to s s pretend that there was no tip. Turned out, actually, the people didn't write any anti-gay slurs and they did tip her. But she wanted to pretend to be the victim. She wanted to pretend that there was anti-gay bigotry and animus all over the place. Same year, a lesbian carved a cross into her own chest to fake a hate crime. We then found out it wasn't true. The Southern Poverty Law Center in 2016 breathlessly reported that a black doll 
was found hanging from a noose in an elevator. Turns out it wasn't hanging from a noose at all. There was just a little string that was part of the doll. There, so actually what happened is someone left a black doll in an elevator. Someone left a toy in an elevator. So, of course, you never hear any reported apologies from these people. Same year, someone hung a sign at their home. Uh, two years ago, or three years ago now, I guess. 2016. It said, you can hang a N-word from a tree equal rights he'll never see. This was widely reported. Oh, the awful racism in Trump's America. Turns out the guy who hanged that sign was a black guy and uh, it was his own home that he hung it outside of. That's it. It was just a total hoax. 2017 in Indiana, there was a Nazi anti-gay pro-Trump vandalism at a church. Turns out it was the work of an anti-Trump gay man. And this gay man said, he actually gave away the whole story. And I'm naming a tiny little handful of all of the hate hoaxes that have gone on in recent years. Why did he do it? He said that the 2016 presidential election had left him, quote, fearful, scared, and alone. And he, quote, wanted other people to be scared with me. So the 2016 election provoked fantasies in this man's head. The leftist narrative is a fantasy. He's entertaining the fantasy, and that's why he's scared, fearful, and alone. But other people are not because they're living in reality. So he wanted other people to be afraid, to be living in that fantasy with him. So what did he do? He took his fantasy and he tried to make it a reality. He tried to make himself a victim because victimhood carries great currency on the one hand and also because if he's living in a fantasy and he feels alone living in that fantasy, he wants other people to live in fantasy with him and he has to turn the fantasy in reality. Why do we buy these? Why do we buy these stories? Why did the whole news media buy this ridiculous story? We'll get to that in a second. We'll also get to real state crimes in a second. And if we have time at the end, we will have to talk about the wall and the national emergency. But first, it's almost time for our next episode of The Conversation, featuring me, little old Michael Knowles. Tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, I will be taking all of your questions, every query that has burned in your hearts, and I will answer them live on air. Plus, Elisha will also be there. That's pretty good. As always, this episode will be free for everyone to watch on Facebook and YouTube, but only subscribers can ask the questions. Once again, subscribe to get your questions answered by yours truly, little old me, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and join the conversation. If you're on Facebook and YouTube, go to dailywire.com. We appreciate you if you're already there. You help keep the lights on. You keep Kofefe in my cup. We have a lot more to get to today. You know you get me, the Andrew Clavin Show, the Ben Shapiro Show, the Matt Wall Show. Ask questions in the mailbag coming up on Thursday. Ask questions in the conversation. Ask questions backstage. You get another kingdom. You get everything. You get this. This is the special... Mm-hmm. Mm. Tastes like the truth. Leftist tears. Tastes like the truth. Not like those crocodile tears you just saw on TV. This tastes like the truth, and the truth has never tasted so good. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. Why do we buy these hoaxes? One, because we don't want to rush to judgment against the accuser. Oh, good. Okay, that's actually a noble thing. I, that's why I keep actually putting caveats in here. I mean, the overwhelming preponderance of evidence seems to show that Jesse Smollett staged this whole thing as a hoax. But even then, I, I don't want to totally write off the possibility that there's something even more going on. It's, that's a noble thing to try to protect accusers. 
it is cruel also to rush to judgment against the accused. You see, and because narratives flip all the time. You saw this with those Covington High School kids. The whole presidential Democrat candidates, the news media, even bishops piled onto these kids before any facts were out, and then they looked like fools. It's, it's cruel against the accused because what Jussie Smollett did was commit a real hate crime against white people and against straight people and against conservatives and Trump supporters. He committed a crime against us. He smeared us. He spread calumny. He defamed us. He filed a false police report, it seems like. That, those are real crimes. This is not a victimless crime. He did something very wrong. He could go to jail for this, by the way, as he should if he's guilty. The network spent, according to Newsbusters, 101 minutes breathlessly covering the story before it fell apart. We buy this, and by, I mean, I don't mean us, I mean the left, and I mean half of America, and the mainstream media, and presidential candidates, and Nancy Pelosi. We buy this because we buy the cultural narrative that marginalized people are hopelessly oppressed in this country, and it's a horrific country that is always trying to kill them, not just oppress them, but kill them. There was a headline in the Washington Post, it read, quote, I doubted Jussie Smollett. It breaks my heart that I might be right. It breaks your heart that half the country isn't anti-black white racists who are trying to maim and kill people. That breaks your heart. It does break her heart. She wishes that were the case because then her narrative would be true. Then her holy, beautiful narrative that America is hopelessly racist and vicious and bigoted and white people are the devil and Trump supporters are the devil, that then that would be true. She wishes that that were the case. Unfortunately for her, America is a pretty good country and marginalized communities are not really oppressed. She's so sad about that. She said, quote, I wanted to believe Smollett. I really did. I know that there's a deep, dark racist history in Chicago. And if proved true, this would have just been one more point on the list. I wanted to believe him with every fiber of my being. When was the last time a Republican ran the city of Chicago? When was the la- what are you talking. I mean, maybe, yeah, there are a lot of problems in Chicago, a lot of guns, a lot of terrible violence, a lot of terrible governance in Chicago, all true. Not caused by Trump supporters, not caused by white, straight male, big daddy patriarch. That's a good thing. To perverted people like this Washington Post editorial assistant, that's a bad thing. But to normal, right-thinking people, that's a good thing. So why did Jesse Smollett do it, if he did it? In part, there's a selfish reason. In part, there's a cultural reason. One, what is being reported now is that he was going to be written off of the show Empire. And he didn't want to be written off of Empire. So he decided to try to get some headlines and make it such that he couldn't get written off. How did he know this would work, though? I mean, if that's true or not, I don't really care. The selfish reasons, whatever. He knew that that would work because our culture rewards victimhood. Victimhood carries a special currency. If you can pretend to be a victim, that is that will help you socially. We talk about white privilege. We talk about straight privilege. We talk about male privilege. In our culture today, those are not privileges. Those are disadvantages. And actually, the privileges are to be the opposite. The privileges are to be marginalized, so-called. So if you're a racial minority, if you're a woman, if you're gay, if you are confused about your sex, those are the advantages. Those are the privileges. In the hate hoax culture, privilege is the opposite of privilege. Why did these other people commit the hate hoaxes? Put Jesse Smollett aside for a second, because some of them believe that the narrative is true. That guy gave the whole story away. He said, I just, my fantasy, I know, I want people to feel my fantasy. 
but he doesn't think it's a fantasy. He thinks it's reality. They know that the narrative is true. They, they say this all the time. They say, well, even if this event wasn't true, it gets to a greater truth. No, it doesn't. This is like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying, well, something might not be factually true, but it's morally right. No, it's not. In order to be morally right, you have to be factually right. You can't have a fantasy be reality. You can't contradict reality and say that that is reality. That is what the left wants us to do, but that isn't the case. So what they do is they try to make the events fit the narrative. They stage these hoaxes to show people the deeper truth. There's no deeper truth. It's a lie. Nancy Pelosi tweeted out, quote, the racist homophobic attack on Jesse Smollett is an affront to our humanity. No one should be attacked for who they are or whom they love. I pray that Jesse has a speedy recovery and that justice is served. May we all commit to ending this hate once and for all. She tweeted that out. Now, she quietly over the past two days deleted that tweet because she is finally admitting what we all suspected. No apology, no apology to white, straight, male, Trump-supporting America. No, none of that from Nancy Pelosi. Smeared the whole country, defamed the whole country. No, no, no. No apology to America. She's indicting America as a bigoted, awful place. No apology to her countrymen. She just quietly took it down. Nancy is right. Justice should be served. We should end hate once and for all. Actually, by the way, just a usage note. The noun is hatred, not hate. Hate is a verb. It can be an adjective. Hatred is the preferred noun. Hatred. Some people think this is ironic. It's not. Hatred always does this. Hatred always flips the script for you. Hatred makes you stupid. It makes you think less clearly. And when you are responding angrily or reflexively, you, uh, when you're accusing somebody else of hatred, usually you're accusing yourself. It's, it's like a boomerang. It flips right back on you. I just, just anecdotally, I see this happen all the time. The left accuses me of hatred all the time. I don't usually get angry with them because I understand how they've convinced themselves to think that. There are all these studies that the right understands the left much better than the left understands the right. I understand how through their perverse premises and their perverse arguments, they can arrive at the conclusion that just, I don't know, citing historical facts is hateful. I, I see how they get there. They're wrong, but I, I actually can see how they get there. It, it, you, you, if you don't have any self-reflection, if you're just constantly reflexively angry all the time, you're probably accusing yourself of the thing that you're accusing the other person of. Pelosi and the left should have some self-reflection, but they won't. Now, that's the fake hate crime. We've got to get to the real state crime. Because the other big bombshell over the weekend is this Andrew McCabe stuff. We finally got his whole 60 Minutes interview where he, Andrew McCabe disgraced FBI official. He leaked on uh, Thursday and Friday, you saw early tapes of this, that there was a planned coup d'etat. The deep state, the DOJ and the FBI, were trying to conspire and scheme to overturn the presidential election, get the president kicked out of office. Now, Andrew McCabe has released his lurid details about this because he's trying to sell a book. And he is throwing Attorney General or Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein under the bus in all of this. Rosenstein apparently had offered to wear a wire when talking to the president to secretly record his conversations with the president. Now, Rod Rosenstein has said, oh, I was just joking. I was sarcastic. Andrew McCabe says, no way. Deputy Attorney General offered to wear a wire into the White House. He said, I never get searched when I go into the White House. I could easily wear a recording device. They wouldn't know it was there. Now, he was not joking. 
He was absolutely serious, and in fact, he brought it up in the next meeting we had. I never actually considered taking him up on the offer. Um, I did discuss it with my general counsel and my leadership team back at the FBI after he brought it up the first time. The point of Rosenstein wearing the wire into a meeting with the president was what? What did he hope to obtain? I can't characterize what Rod was thinking or what he was hoping at that moment. But the reason you would have someone wear a concealed recording device would be to collect evidence. And in this case, what was the true nature of the president's motivation in calling for the firing of Jim Comey? So McCabe is doubling down. He's saying Rosenstein is lying. He was not joking about this. He was definitely going to do this. You got to remember, though, Andy McCabe is the scum of the earth, and he's a confirmed liar. We now know he's a liar. He lied to investigators. He lied about leaking information to the media, and he was fired from the FBI in disgrace. So we can't just believe everything McCabe is saying, but I also don't trust Rod Rosenstein or anyone else at the DOJ. We know that there have been shenanigans here, so we have to parse. What do we believe from McCabe? What do we don't? First of all, What did Rod Rosenstein ever do to Andy McCabe? Did did Rosenstein sleep with McCabe's wife or something? He is just throwing this guy under the bus and saying, yeah, the guy who's still the deputy AG, yeah, he was plotting to overturn the presidential election and kick the president out of office. Now, the question this raises is what will happen to Rod Rosenstein? Will the White House fire him? How is he still in his job? Will they believe Rosenstein over McCabe? McCabe is a totally execrable figure. Now, Andy McCabe goes on and discusses the possibility of Rod Rosenstein secretly recording the president, why they considered doing it, why they ultimately didn't do it. The general counsel of the FBI and the leadership team you spoke with said what about this idea? I think the general counsel had a heart attack. And when he got up off the floor, he said, I th- I, that's a bridge too far. We're not there yet that it wasn't necessary at that point in the investigation to escalate it to that level. That's correct. Wait, wait, wait. Now, did you hear that? Because he said, oh, no, the counsel, he, he fell on the floor. He thought it was such a crazy idea to secretly record the president. No, no, he said we couldn't do that yet. Catch that little yet in there? Hold on a second. If this is such a shocking, crazy thing, it, it, why would he leave open the possibility to doing it later? sometime in the future. Oh my gosh, it's such a crazy, shocking idea. I'm falling on the floor. Uh, man, let's hold off on that for a couple weeks. That's what he's saying. So he's saying that even at that point, the DOJ was considering secretly taping the president, having his deputy attorney general go in and secretly record the president. The lawyers could envision a world in which they actually did this. And then they get to the heart of it. What were they really going after? They're going to record the president. To what end? Try to catch him in something, catch him in a crime, catch him him seeming a little erratic. What they actually wanted to do was use the 25th Amendment to throw the president out of office for incapacitation. Discussion of the 25th Amendment was, was simply Rod raised the issue and discussed it with me in the context of thinking about how many other cabinet officials might support such an effort. Um, I didn't have much to contribute, to be perfectly honest, in that uh, conversation, so I listened to what he had to say. Um, But to be fair, 
It was an unbelievably stressful time. I can't even describe for you how many things must have been coursing through the Deputy Attorney General's mind at that point. So um, it was really something that he kind of threw out in a, in a very frenzied, um, chaotic conversation about where we were and what we needed to do next. What seemed to be coursing through the mind of the Deputy Attorney General was getting rid of the President of the United States. Well, one I, way or another, I can't confirm that. But what I can say is the deputy attorney general was definitely very concerned about the president, about his capacity and about his intent at that point in time. Look, in fairness, in fairness, it was a really frenzied, crazy time. I mean, the person we wanted to win the presidential election lost and the person we didn't want to win won. I mean, so in fairness, in fairness, it's perfectly reasonable to have a coup d'etat, to launch an unconstitutional coup d'etat, overturn a presidential election, because the person we wanted to win, you, here, you understand this, the person that we voted for lost, and we weren't going to uh, uh, tolerate that, so we were going to overturn the election. You understand, don't you? By the way, this, is, this remains unconstitutional. Obviously, it's unconstitutional for the deputy attorney general and this schmuck at the FBI to try to use the Constitution, some provision of the Constitution, to overturn a presidential election. That's obviously unconstitutional. It's also unconstitutional if the cabinet did it. The president was not incapacitated. He is not incapacitated at the moment either. He's not insane. He's not in a coma. He's not... He's perfectly fine. So even if the cab, even if the, this scheme worked, this coup d'etat worked, it would remain unconstitutional for the cabinet to try to use the 25th amendment to throw him out. So why is McCabe coming out with this? He's selling a book. He's selling a book. He manages, by the way, to seem almost sympathetic in this interview. Unless you're listening to what he says, if you're just kind of glossing over, you're like, okay, well, yeah, okay, that's fine. He then comes out and he obviously has a personal grudge against Donald Trump because Donald Trump ended his corrupt and crooked career and denied, tried to deny him his pension, denied him some of his pension, I guess. And so he has this personal grudge against Donald Trump, a grudge enough to try to help lead a coup d'etat and re take over the White House. And here's him recounting his conversations with the president. This, he's feigning being shocked here. I, this actually is, I, I think I'm most shocked at his statement pretending to be shocked right here talking to the president. The president uh, launched into uh, several unrelated diatribes. One of those was commenting on the recent um, missile launches by the government of North Korea. And essentially the president said he did not believe that the North Koreans had the capability to hit us here with ballistic missiles in the United States. And he did not believe that because President Putin had told him they did not. President Putin had told him that the North Koreans don't actually have those missiles. And U.S. intelligence was telling the president what? Intelligence officials in the briefing responded that that was not consistent with any of the intelligence our government possesses. To which the president replied, I don't care, I believe Putin. What did you think when you heard that? It's just an astounding thing to say to spend the time and effort and energy that we all do in the intelligence community to produce products that will help decision makers and the ultimate decision maker, the President of the United States, um, make policy decisions. And to be confronted with an absolute disbelief 
in those efforts and an unwillingness to learn the true state of affairs that he has to deal with every day was just shocking. It's, it's just shocking. It's just astounding that after all the work that we spook bureaucrats put in trying to launch a coup d'etat and overturn the presidential election, the president doesn't trust us. Can you believe that? Us, the people who were working with the Democrats, the DNC, Hillary Clinton, to prevent him from being president, then as I just admitted in this very conversation, we people who were trying to kick him out of office by launching a coup d'etat using either the Constitution as a mechanism or a fake investigation that I personally launched, he doesn't trust us. I mean, what, you know? You know how could he not trust us? Why wouldn't he trust a bunch of... Democrat hack traitor spooks. I just don't, if you can't trust a bunch of Democrat operative traitor spooks, who can you trust? You know, who can you trust? Now, can we trust McCabe? I don't know. Can we trust him here? He's an admitted liar. He's a demonstrable liar. He's a proud liar. He's a boastful liar. So is he, I don't know, is he just setting up Rod Rosenstein or something? Maybe. Is he settling a grudge? Is he selling books? Is he, I don't know. Or is he telling the truth? We're going to find out though. Because uh, Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Grambo, is uh, promising to uh, nab McCabe for lying. Uh, you know, he's going to try to subpoena him, bring him back to testify. So we'll be able to catch the inconsistencies. They'll nab him. Either he was lying in the interview, he was lying to investigators before, he's lying to the Senate. We'll see what happens. It's going to produce a lot more wonderful tape. And I just love, this is the first moment in this whole investigation where you're just starting to see a little light on this. You're beginning to see a little light on the corruption at the DOJ. You're seeing a little light on the corruption of the bureaucracy working with the Clinton campaign, with the Obama administration, using the power of the state to work with the Clinton campaign. And President Trump and conservatives and Republicans are coming out smelling like a rose. More light. Bring on the light. We'll get some more of that tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Dylan Case. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, we're going to talk about this Jesse Smollett situation. The, the media and the left has really embarrassed itself yet again. Uh, but something tells me there's going to be no honest self-assessment on their part. They're not going to learn any lessons whatsoever. Also, uh, I really want to discuss why victimhood has become such a desirable status in America, so desirable that people will actually make up hate crimes just so they can be a victim. And finally, I think maybe in answer to that question, Colin Kaepernick got a multi-million dollar payout from the NFL for his own victimhood. Uh, so we'll discuss that today as well over on the Matt Walsh Show.